Welcome back. We're glad to have with us from the Epic Times, uh, Kevin Stockland. And he talks a lot about environmentalism, what's going on uh, in the ESG and woke movement when it comes to certain ideologies. Among them, of course, as you know, climate change is a big discussion that people are having with greater frequency. Uh, but Kevin talks and has written uh, extensively uh, about what two scientists are saying and that the EPA's climate agenda is leading us to disaster. Here to talk about that again is Kevin Stockland from the Epic Times. Uh, hello, Kevin. Thanks for joining us again. What, what's going on here? Well, there's two uh, pretty esteemed uh, scientists. One is William Happer. Uh, he is a professor of physics at Princeton. And the other is Richard Lindzen, and he is a professor of atmospheric science at MIT. Um, And they are testifying in response to these new uh, EPA uh, climate policies that um, they are based on faulty data, that uh, they are not based on facts, and that these policies should be overturned because they are uh, arbitrary and capricious. And this, of course, is having a rippling effect throughout the uh, climate change community. <laughs> I, I think they're being ignored, aren't they, these people? What, what's they're the evidence that they show? What do they show that, that's, that validates that claim that the EPA has it all wrong? Well, they have an extensive report, which we've linked to in the article, and, and people are welcome to read it. But we've chosen a few elements out of it. So they're essentially making three claims. Uh, the one is that um, all of the data that is being used to support the EPA policies is based on uh, uh, consensus and modeling, and the modeling is consistently way off. Um, they are arguing that CO2 levels have been much higher than they are today, and that temperatures have been much higher than they are today, and that there's no correlation between the two over the, the history uh, of the Earth. And the other thing that they're arguing is that CO2 is so beneficial to humanity in terms of increasing crop yields uh, and things like this that uh, nearly half of the population of the Earth right now is dependent on uh, synthetic fertilizers from fossil fuels just to feed themselves. So these are kind of the two core arguments that they make that this EPA uh, policy of net zero uh, needs to be overturned. I guess what they're saying, what, what they're what they're implying is that all of these weather phenomena, most recently the fires in Maui that have been blamed on climate change, and then we have the the rain, the tropical storm, and and what these two gentlemen who are very learned in their uh, in their field, they're saying. It's not carbon. Carbon isn't doing this. Why, do, why is it that the climate change advocacy group is so focused on carbon as being a, a, weather, a driver of weather phenomena when carbon makes up so little of our atmosphere? Do you know? Well, it's always difficult to speculate about motives, but one of the points that they make uh, when we talk about scientific consensus, and we always hear that 97% of climate scientists uh, support the, the climate change narrative, but one of the points that they make is that there is so much pressure on scientists to go along with this narrative. So we have two other climate scientists who were uh, part of the article um, one was a Nobel Prize winning physicist who was supposed to speak. He's a critic of the climate change narrative. He was recently canceled. He was supposed to speak at the IMF. Uh, the other was a woman who was the head of the uh, climate department at Georgia Tech, um, who also questioned some of this data and was forced out as a result of that. So what they're arguing is really that behind this consensus 
um, there is tremendous pressure for uh, scientists to get on board with the narrative. And for those who do, there's tremendous amounts of grant money, uh, and they have the right to publish, which uh, is pretty much the bread and butter of any academic career. Uh, for those who contradict this narrative, they're very likely going to be out of a job. It sounds awfully like during the vaccine rollouts that anyone who questioned that narrative would risk losing their medical license if they didn't comply, or if they offered alternatives to their patients, they might lose their license or the ability to practice. This sounds like almost like extortion in a way, because if, if you don't sign on to the climate change narrative and agree uh, on the Z- net zero emissions plan, then you could be basically excommunicated from your field of study. And this is the point that they're making, and we've seen so much evidence of this. And I guess it begs the question from my perspective as a reporter, um, if it's necessary to put this much pressure on the scientific community, um, that seems to be a little bit of a red flag about the narrative. If, if the narrative was so clearly supported by evidence, it would seem to me that you would need to punish uh, anyone who's questioning it. Mm. But so much of our policy now, whether it's EVs, whether it's changing our electric grid, whether it's taking out the fossil fuel industry, is all based on these models. And so I think it is so important. One of the reasons I wanted to give them a platform is I think it's so important that we actually have a factual debate because if the data that they present in their report, and some of which I was able to present in this article, if it is correct, um, we are clearly going in the wrong direction they say this will be disastrous for the country, and their data seems to seems to support that. So it seems to me we should be able to have an open and informed debate on this topic rather than silencing anybody who disagrees. Now, you also mentioned Judith Curry, and I also think she might have been from Princeton. She actually ended up retiring, but and that freed her up to be able to speak. What are some of the dangers? I mean, give, give me one or two examples of what could happen Uh, If the EPA leads us down this road and we shut off fossil fuels and electricity grids, what are we looking at here? Well, the the most frightening thing is really what they're doing to the electric grid. So they are shutting down coal plants um, and gas-fired plants. This is the most reliable source of electricity. You can turn them on and turn them off anytime you want. And they are replacing them systematically with wind and solar, which, as we all know, are dependent on the weather. And... um, They are uh, far from delivering the amount of energy that they are projected to deliver. And as a result of that, we may be looking at rolling blackouts across our power grid. This is not just my opinion. This is coming from the FERC and the NERC. These are two government uh, organizations that track the electric grid and the reliability of the electric grid. And they're both sounding alarms that this transition is happening in a very disorderly fashion. Um, It's not just that the lights don't go on. Our hospitals are dependent on electricity. Uh, Much of our transportation, our communication, our water systems and sewage systems. So if you lose that electric grid for, you know, more than 24 or 48 hours, um, people are going to start dying. If it happens during a cold spell or a hot spell and people can't use their air conditioning or heat homes, you know, people are going to die as as a result of this. And after more than, you know, four weeks, societal order starts to break down. So this is what we're potentially looking at, and this is the gamble that we're making if we go down this path. And the irony is when the grids start to fail, the authorities tell us, well, it's climate change. 
Uh, and then they try to implicate that the climate is having an effect on the available amount of energy that we can consume when it's, in fact, policy that was set up months, even years in advance. And I think this is what we're seeing in places like California, where we had the Paradise Fire and all those homes were burned. And when then we come to find that they hadn't done any kind of deforestation because they were, again, guided by policies uh, that were based on environmentalism. Uh, same thing in Maui, right? So, I mean... Yeah, it, it, very much. And, and the other thing that, that has caused me to be a little bit skeptical about the narrative of climate change, you know, there are all these claims that the hurricanes are getting worse and the tornadoes are getting worse and the wildfires are getting worse. And then you go and you look at the statistics on this and you realize that they're actually not, that there's no evidence that hurricanes are increasing in, in number or intensity. Um, they may be able to choose a short segment of a few years where they're going up, but they go up and they go down. But over the, the longer, uh, the, the big picture, we're not seeing these sort of trends. And yet we're continuing to hear that whether it's the, the fires in Hawaii or California or, or, or hurricanes in Florida, that they're escalating and it's all because of climate change, and the data just doesn't seem to support that at all. Well, I sure am glad that you're reporting on it. The article is called Princeton MIT Scientists Say EPA Climate Regulations Based on a Hoax. You'll find it at the Epic Times, which is the E-P-O-C-H-T-I-M-E-S, theepictimes.com, in the energy section, and you'll find Kevin Stockland's article there. Kevin, again, I appreciate you coming by shortly uh, to tell us about this, and we look forward to reading your article. And thank you again for stopping by here on Speaking Out My America. pleasure. Yeah. We'll talk to you again My next week. Here. Okay? Once again, we want to wish all of our friends uh, good luck, and, and hopefully the worst is, upon, is past with regard to the uh, horrific Cat 2 storm that pummeled the west coast of California. Then they got an earthquake to boot. There was a 5.1 earthquake in Ojai. How many of you remember Ojai is kind of famous for Lindsay, what was it, Lindsay Wagner? That's where she lived uh, you remember the bionic woman? <laughs> Some things you just never forget, right? Anyway, not that that means anything, but they had two aftershocks, a 3.1 and a 3.0. So a little rock and rolling going on there in uh, in Southern California. Wow. I mean, are they going to try to blame that on climate change too? You know, they'll probably come up with some, oh yeah, it's caused by, uh, you know, what about the weight of all that water? I don't know. Who knows? Uh, more news on COVID shenanigans. This one comes from the Gateway Pundit, Jim Hopped. A lawyer Tom Rents has exposed that the COVID-19 vaccine, widely advertised as mRNA, are in fact lab-created hybrids known as MOD RNA, M-O-D RNA. Tom Rents accuses the Food and Drug Administration and the CDC, Pfizer, and others of misleading the world about the true nature of the COVID-19 vaccines. In a statement released on social media, Renz claims that he widely recognized mRNA technology alleged utilized in the vaccine is not what it appears to be. Renz says they claimed the COVID-19 vaccines were mRNA, and that meant messenger RNA, which occurs in life everywhere. It is not 
mRNA. It is mod RNA. Mod RNA is a lab-created hybrid designed to create changes in your genes, according to Rents. Mod RNA, modified messenger RNA, is a synthesized form of mRNA that has been altered at specific sites. Mod RNA, as described by Rents, has the potential to last longer and create permanent changes in genes. He also warns of the potential for massive unintended consequences in the 3,300 billion lines of genetic code that make up humanity. Why does this matter? Well, let's start with the COVID vaccines, because mRNA is a weak particle and breaks down easily with a relatively lower risk of messing with your genetics than other gene therapy products like mod RNA. That is what is always talked about in the jabs. The problem is that it's a lie, he says. If you search the word MOD RNA on Pfizer's labeling fact sheet for the healthcare providers administering, it will show 21 results. Now, I won't read the whole thing because it talks a lot about measurements, but essentially he's saying that we all thought we were getting this new, this new invention, mRNA, Robert Malone's reverse engineering of DNA, which was supposed to do something where it, it tricks the body into thinking that it's the spike protein when it's not. Uh, but there is, Pfizer admitted that during its clinical studies, participants aged 16 years and older received 30 micrograms of nucleoside modified, that's MOD, modified messenger RNA. This is the main active ingredient in the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine. Now, I had the Moderna, so I don't know how that affects me. Um, 84% say they have pain at the ejection site. It's the most common reaction pain, fatigue, headaches, muscle, chills, joint pain, fever. Whew. You know, uh, and, and now they're talking about, oh, go get your boosters. I, I guess the poll question is, at this point, how much do you trust the government with vaccines, or at least with this particular vaccine? Because I don't want to come off as, a, as, as someone who's against the idea of vaccines. I think for millions, perhaps even billions of people, vaccines have certainly saved a lot of lives. We've ended uh, polio. We've ended, for the most part, measles. We've ended all these things that, that we know that in, in decades, centuries past, people died. Uh, it was it was not uncommon to lose a child, you know, in the 1800s from something. And so, yes, we are very thankful for our medical technology, but it's the abuse of that technology and the abuse of that trust and the misinformation uh, telling us that masks work, then they don't work, telling us that you only need one shot, oh, no, now you need two. You know, does it is anybody wondering why all of these ailments are starting to show up like monkeypox and RSV and respiratory syndrome. Uh, many healthcare professionals, including some of Naomi Wolf's stuff is, is, is pretty excellent too. Uh, she's really had her eyes open. Um, but if you listen to Malone or McCulloch or Corey or any of these guys that are constantly inviscerated in the public media, uh, they all have a, no... Uh, stake in the game. They're not not the ones making money 
off of RNA talk technology and stocks and patents like Fauci. Um, these guys, they're on, their only horse in the race is they don't want people to take something that's going to permanently alter their life. That's the big challenge. And, and that's, you know, who, we don't know. There's more we don't know. And it, it gives me the creeps, I think, when the people that you trust are not telling you the truth. And, and it's, it's just no different from, say, when, when your kid steals from you or if your significant other has a, a, an affair, there's that level of trust you can never get back. And it's the sky is falling complex because now they're talking about a new variant, B.2.86. Uh, but we don't know, well, why is this variant? Usually variants are a reaction to the vaccinations. It, the the spike protein or the virus is mutating to avoid detection. So uh, are, we, are we being told the whole truth about this new variant? Was there some experiment done in some far-off place that nobody knows about that, that went awry and a new variant emerged? That is not an illegitimate question. In fact, that's an important question because if you don't ask, they can't deny it. And they're not supposed to deny it. They're supposed to tell you the truth. But you've got to ask the right question. And unfortunately, our media uh, is worried about asking questions. They don't want to be seen as an outlier. Uh, this is why you have all these people that echo each other in the news media because they're all vying for a position. They want to be on the inside. They don't want to question the narrative. They want to promote the narrative, whatever that narrative is. Another good example of that is what we're, do- what we're seeing now with uh, the elements of peer pressure among young teenagers who are being told that they have to choose which gender they are. Now, I don't know if you know about this, but Carson Choate did an excellent piece, which you'll find in Western Journal, and the headline reads, Powerful Teachers Union Coached Educators to Inject Gender Ideology Politics into the Classrooms. It's a pretty revealing report. Uh, Carson writes, The largest teachers union in the U.S. are allegedly encouraging educators to push gender ideology on students, according to a new report. The NEA and the American Federation of Teachers are working, quote, to change American society by advancing its radical gender ideology in the classroom. The two teachers union are the, the unions are the largest in America, representing 4.7 million public school teachers. Counselors also, uh, college fac- faculty and other educators Data provided by Zipia shows. Imagine if you're a gender-confused 11-year-old girl and you're getting all this pressure. Um, you know, maybe you have a tendency to want to play sports. Who knows? But you get identified. Hey, maybe you're maybe you're binary or you're non-binary or maybe whatever happens. And you go to the school counselor thinking you're going to get the proper kind of care, and they immediately want to start affirming you. Oh well, maybe you you know. This is the problem, and, and, and I, I don't know about you, but I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. Did you, as a teacher, as a parent? Did you sign up for this? There were classes being held. And for example, in, in a first session, participants are encouraged to reflect on personal prejudice and how to recognize inappropriate interactions and gain actionable skills toward transforming school culture. Uh, and they model their identity-affirming space that centers on LGBTQ voices and supports allies. You know, uh, I tell you, 
I was watching, uh, I don't know, Xfinity, if you get that in your, but in the channel changer, if you ever look at the guide, you'll notice that every fifth or sixth channel, Xfinity has special stuff that they promote on other Xfinity channels. And Xfinity, of course, is owned by Comcast, largest uh, communications company in the country. And they, uh, and they have these things on LGBTQ, celebrate diversity. But there's one instance where they actually specifically say something to do with because children who are young are at risk for suicide if they are not affirmed. And this is the leverage that has been going around circulating all over the country, that if your kid is transgender and you don't affirm them, they have a 16% or a 32% or some percentage more likelihood of committing suicide. And this, I think we talked about this with another, this is how they're doing it. They're, they're using extortion. They're convincing the parents that if something goes wrong with their kid and they don't affirm their, their new gender identity, then you will be blamed if they decide to take matters into their own hands. Isn't that just the most horrible thing? Talk about extortion. The worst, cruelest kind. If you don't do what we say and your kid does something terrible, you'll only have yourself to blame. That, that's, that borders on... That's criminal. I hate to leave it there, but we have to. Until next time, thank you for joining me on Speaking Out America. Jim Watkins, follow me online at speakingoutamerica.com. <laughs>